we'll read uh, verses 1 through 6. We'll come back and break it down. So verse 1 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Last week, beginning Revelation 16, we started with this same quote. How God is writing history and he uses no pencils because he makes no mistakes. And here we see one of the angels from the last chapter comes to John and says, Hey, let me show you, right? Come and I will show you the judgment. How God is literally writing down how the future is going to take place. How history is going to transpire. How judgment will take place against this great harlot who is sitting on many waters. One of the key verses here for Revelation 17, it's found in verse 17. And it reads, For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose. To be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout our own lives, God is going to fulfill His purpose. God's words will be fulfilled. We just get to decide whether we're used as a son or a daughter or as a tool. Right? We'll look at a quote later on. But we get to decide in fulfilling God's purposes and having His word fulfilled whether we're used like Pharaoh or if we're used like Moses. That decision is up to us. We see here this nation, this movement known as Babylon being judged. It's not the first time we've seen this take place in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 8, it reads, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In Revelation 16 verse 9, it tells us, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. We've lightly touched on what Babylon was and is, kind of is to come, right? But here we're finally going to look at it in its entirety. Babylon, truly there are three different Babylons throughout Scripture. And Babylon, it's always pointing to the world in rebellion against God. Babylon, the world in rebellion against God. The first Babylon that comes on the scene in Scripture, you can think of it as the Tower of Babel. 
Tower of Babel, literally the, the gate into heaven. That's what the world, they all gathered together and they were trying to come up with their own religion and their own way towards God, their own way to approach God. So God, he changes all their languages. They begin to babble, right? That's where we get when someone does wah, 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 right? Or maybe someone starts a sentence. They don't know where they're going with it. And hey, man, stop babbling. Take some time. Think about what you're saying. It's funny to hear my oldest son tell my youngest son or my daughter what we told him, right? Starts off talking. He's like, think about what you're going to say. And then say it right now. He's telling his little brother and sister, Luke, think about what you're going to say. And they say it right. But babbling, that's where we get it from the Tower of Babel. But shortly after the Tower of Babel, when God struck men and women with all these different languages, there was a city planted there known as Babylon. And Babylon had many counterfeits and imitations of Christianity. You see, in Babylon, right after the Tower of Babel, there was a man by the name of Tammuz, and there was a lie going around that he was miraculously born, that he was born of a virgin. His mother, known as Ceramis, there was pictures of her, or paintings of her, holding her savior infant son, Tammuz, that was born of a virgin. Later on, the story would go that Tammuz would be killed by a wild beast, either the horn of an ox or the tooth of a wild boar. And then 40 days afterwards, he would be miraculously brought back to life. And since the beginning of mankind, Satan has been throwing counterfeits out there to the truth of what God told the serpent in the garden. God told the serpent in the garden that it's from the seed of the woman that one day the seed of the woman will rise up and crush the head of Satan. So Satan, he's been trying to come against this. He's come up with different counterfeits and different imitations of the true and real Christianity, relationship with Jesus Christ. And these false religions, these counterfeits have been peppered all throughout history. It started off in Babylon. Later on, they would take place in Rome. After that, Roman Catholics, Catholicism, they didn't want to get too far away from the paganism, so they sprinkled a lot of paganism within their own religion, and it didn't just stop there. It continued to affect much of religion and even much of Christianity today. Even today, positive confession. Christian telling other Christians, be careful what your words say because your words have power, right? It all comes back to this former paganism. They think of it as something that's new age, but it's nothing new at all. There's nothing new under the sun. Basically, it's this world's mindset, this world's rebellion against God, thinking that anything but Jesus can get us to heaven. Thinking that anything but Jesus Christ and a relationship with him can gain you entrance into heaven is part of this Babylon. Starts off with the Tower of Babel. It leads to the city of Babylon. Next is the Empire of Babylon. You could think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how the Empire of Babylon comes in, destroys Israel and Judah, and now has these men put into slavery. How Nebuchadnezzar would create this great idol and cause everyone to bow down and worship him. Finally, the third Babylon is this system of Babylon. It's this world and this world's system of, once again, rebellion against God. 
It's this world's combined movement, and it's this world's combined function. That's what a system is. It's a combination of movements, a combination of functions. You could think of the transportation system. It's all the different ways to transport yourself to different places. Your circulatory system, that's the same thing. Your nervous system, it's all of these combined movements and functions grouped together. And our world all together is raging against God. The whole entire world. Sexually, are we getting more and more holy, right? Is this world getting holier and holier, more and more prude, right, as we're growing? No, not whatsoever, right? Just Google bathing suits in 1950, right? And you'll see how far we've progressed in this world and this world system, You think of sex, you think of gender now, you think of speech now, and how the world is continuing to pervert itself at a rapid, rapid pace. This idea of the world and the world systems is found right in 1 John chapter 2. Let's turn there, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and there's a danger when we go through the book of Revelation I think more so for people that are seasoned saints, they've been believers for five years or 10 years or 20 years, right? There's a danger that as we read through the book of Revelation, somehow we think it's this mysterious treasure hunt that God's trying to take us on, right? Uh, A couple weeks ago, I saw National Treasure with my kids, and there are some Christians that think Revelation is like National Treasure, right? And we're supposed to try to search out every little meaning and every little thing and multiply it times seven to the seventh power, and it equals this great and grand thing. And literally, the book of Revelation means God revealing himself to us. And so often we get carried away trying to figure out all the little codes and meanings instead of just applying the real reality of what God's trying to reveal to us and show to us. And before we read 1 John 2, we could do this whole teaching in like two sentences, right? Some of you are saying, yeah, let's do that and go have lunch, right? But we could sum up this whole teaching in two sentences. Any other way that someone tries to get to heaven or approach God will be judged. Every other way, every 99.9 ways that people try to get to God outside of Jesus Christ. Outside of faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. Any other way you try to approach heaven. If you think you deserve heaven because you come to church every once in a while, that's part of that 99.9. If you think you deserve heaven because you're born into a good home or you win on a mission trip or you've done X, Y, or Z, that is part of this world's combined religious system raging against God. But here in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15 through 17, look at this warning. If you want to apply anything today, it's not about the beast or the seven horns or the seven mountains. Try to apply this to our lives. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, does John have a problem with nature, right? 
Does John want us to go outside and light everything on fire and be littering as we're driving around? Is that what he means to not love this world? No, he's talking about the systems of this world, the ideology of this world, right? The lust of the flesh, doing things just because we it feels good. It rages against all wisdom. It rages against all sound counsel. But just because I desire it, just because I want that 20th cookie, right? Just because I want that pornography, just because I want that other sexual relationship, just because I want to identify myself in this sin, just because I want X, Y, or Z, I'm lusting after it, even though it rages against all wisdom, all counter. Today, we're raging against nature itself. Read Romans 1. The second one is the lust of the eyes, just because it looks good. It looks good to me. My eyes want that. Right? You could think of covetousness. So much of social media today, so much of the internet today, I never knew that existed, but now I need that, right? I never knew that location existed on the map, but now I need to go there. It's the lust of our eyes and finally the pride of life. Trying to make ourselves more important, trying to think about ourselves more and more. We're greater than the people around us, more important than the people around us, more special than the people around us. This is the world and its systems. And we're not to love it. Rather, even there in 1 John chapter 2, we don't have time to go through the full context, but in verse 14, John says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So instead of knowing or loving the things of this world, may we be like these men and women mentioned in verse 14. May we know and love our Father and our friend, our brother, Jesus Christ, the one who has been since the beginning. Instead of giving ourselves over and allowing the world to abide in us, our mindset to be the mindset of the world, let us allow the Word of God to abide in us. That what comes out when we're shaken, what comes out in difficulty, is not the world or the ideas of the world, but the ideas within Scripture. Let us not be overcome by the world or by the wicked one, but let's overcome the wicked one and the world. So again, if we're to apply anything from this morning, let us grow in not loving the world or the things of the world. Let us grow in not lusting after the flesh and not lusting of the eyes and putting down the pride of life because this world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. How's your last week been? Have you been doing the will of God or the will of your flesh? Have you been doing the will of God or the will of your eyes? Have you been doing the will of God or the will of your pride? The one who does the will of God abides forever. In chapter 17, right, we've talked about these systems, these world systems. In chapter 17, it's going to be this world's religious system. We're going to see the judgment that God pronounces on it. In chapter 18, it'll be this world's commercial system, the money, the marketing, how this world just continues to heap up more and more and more money for that 1% and allows the rest of the world to be destroyed. God will one day judge that. The greed that people have, God will one day judge that. We could think of Babylon almost as an idea of Hollywood, right? 
How someone could say, hey, you're acting like Hollywood, and you don't have to even be born in Hollywood, California, or Hollywood, Florida, right? But you can be acting like that, right? Plasticky, or just putting on an act, just putting on a facade, and that's that same type of idea. You see, at the rapture, the bride of Christ will be taken away. That is only those who are true, born-again believers. Those who were formerly we don't have time to go through all Corinthians, but then afterwards Jesus takes hold of their lives and changes them completely around. This bride, this church is raptured and taken to heaven. It's no one who's habitually sinning. It's no one whose identity is wrapped up in sin. That's not a part of the bride that's taken away. It's only the true sons and daughters of God. However, there are many churches today Many liberal churches, many Unitarian churches, and other churches that are not about Jesus Christ whatsoever. And when the rapture happens, nothing's going to change in their church. It's going to be the same people, the same teachings, the same ideology being given because they're not preaching the kingdom of heaven and holiness. They're not preaching righteousness. They're preaching one love. They're preaching the world. It's not even just American flags outside, but you have gay flags outside in many churches. And after the rapture, not much will change in these churches because these people are going after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're not going after Jesus Christ and trying to overcome the world. Vance Havner, a quote by him, he says, Satan is not fighting churches. He's joining them. He does more harm by sowing tares than by pulling up wheat. He accomplishes much more by imitation than by outright opposition. It's just so true. And we've seen it even in the progression of the church age as we went through Revelation 2, 3, and 4. The first churches, most of their difficulties are brought by what? The world around them, the world opposing them, the world carrying them off to prison, putting them to death. That's how it all began. But then the last few churches, God's warning them, hey, you're lukewarm. You're one foot in this world and one foot with me, and it's disgusting to me. The world has crept in and has taken over much of the church today. David Guzik, he says, false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. Again, the counterfeits out there, it's the worst enemy. We have to be careful of this. So after the rapture, service will continue with many of these churches because they are part of the religious system of Babylon. And the Antichrist, he's going to hijack that. All of these different churches, all of these religions will all slowly but surely ride on this political power of the Antichrist. He's going to ride on that, and then halfway through, he's going to just leave them flat and dry, and we'll see that later on. Again, what is this religious system of Babylon? It's anyone who thinks they can get to heaven without faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and obedience to his word. If you think you can get to heaven outside of the blood of Jesus Christ and outside of being obedient to his word, it's just not going to work out. One final scripture to mention before we look at this verse by verse, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Here Paul says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 
Again, Satan, it's not like the cartoons some of us grew up watching, that when Satan comes to tempt you, he's wearing all red. He's got a weird-looking tail. He's got a pitchfork. Who carries a pitchfork around? Anybody know what a pitchfork is, right? And he has two red horns. It doesn't work that way. He transforms himself as an angel of light. So much of the lies and the sins of this world, it's under the definition of love, right? So many lies today. Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light, and such are false apostles and deceitful workers. They're transforming themselves, pretending to be apostles of Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age with many scammers, right? When scammers are trying to scam you, do they come up front and tell you just flat out, hey, this, is, this isn't a real loan, I just want to steal your money, right? Hey, I don't really work for Microsoft, your account really wasn't hacked, I just want your account credentials so I can take all your money out. No, they act like the real deal, and that's what happens with a lot of the world's religions today. So let's dive in here, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. We looked at this last chapter, the seven angels with the seven bulls of wrath. One of the angels, when they're done with their task, they come to John, say, hey, come, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Again, judgment is a guarantee. Everyone is going to be judged by God. But judgment is also guaranteed for the world's religious system. Once again, thinking we can get to God, we can get to heaven by any other means than Christ alone, by faith alone, because of his grace alone. Anything, any other idea, but Jesus Christ and him crucified getting us into heaven leads to being a part of this great religious system of Babylon. In Revelation 17, 15, which is verse 15, it reveals to us what these many waters are that the great harlot sits upon. She sits upon the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Again, the vast majority of this world is a part of this false religion. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Again, these are strong words here, strong word pictures here. We have a prostitute who has made the kings of the earth drunk on the wine of her fornication. Again, it's a little reminder why here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, we have the kids, sixth grade and up in the sanctuary here. A lot of the church leaders always joke whenever it's the first Sunday or first Wednesday for the incoming sixth graders. It's always some touchy subject or hot topic, right? But that's why we do it. That's why we have the kids' ministry. That's why we have the nursing mom's room. That's why we have that family room in the back for first-time visitors. It's so we can go through the Word of God where we understand it. Kids can go through their Word, not same Word of God, but in a place where they can understand it. Here, the great harlot, we see she's not just a small harlot or just a harlot, but she's the great harlot. This is a worldwide movement. It's a great opposition. It's a great lie that's happening all over the world. She's making them drunk with the wine of her fornication. When someone's drunk, it impairs their judgment. And now their judgment's impaired, and it makes many things appear very attractive, but not very moral. 
And with a lot of these false religions, they appear very attractive, but they don't lead to our morals being more and more holy. Fornication here, it's spiritual fornication. We know fornication biblically is any type of sexual intimacy between two people who are not married to each other. But here it's two people who are not married, not joint with each other, having this relationship with one another, this fornication. It's usually tied to idolatry, which is a very great attachment or devotion to something or someone else. Biblically, it's whenever we have a greater attachment or greater devotion to anything but Jesus Christ. You could think of that corny song, I think of the Dr. Pepper commercials, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? That's the whole idea here. When Jesus is asking certain things from us and from our lives, and we, like Peter, say, no, Lord, right? No, Master, no Commander, no King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It doesn't work that way, but that's exactly what idolatry is. And throughout the Old Testament, God warns the nation of Israel that they are committing adultery and fornication with the kingdoms and the idols around the world instead of being faithful to their husband, who is God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed idolatry. I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Now, did God take Israel to court and issue them a divorce certificate? No, right? This is just an analogy here. And God is saying, hey, we were supposed to be joined together. I've purchased you. I've given of myself to you. Why are you seeking for pleasure in all of these other idols? Why are you seeking for relationship in anything but me? In Isaiah 1 verse 21, it says how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wines mixed with water, your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Sounds like Washington, D.C., right? This is what happens throughout history when a nation gets their eyes off of God. When we're committing idolatry, when we're no longer faithful to the God that has given his son for us. We were once filled with justice. We were once filled with righteousness. But now we're filled with murderers. Our silvers become worthless. Our, our wine is mixed down. Our princes, our rulers are rebellious and companions of thieves. What do the people love? They love bribes. They follow after rewards. Again, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. They're not chasing after the will of God. They're chasing after their own desires. They don't even defend the orphans. They don't protect the widows. They're just chasing after their own lusts and flesh. Verse 3. John says that the angel carries him away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. 
When someone's carried away in the wilderness, we think of wilderness here in America oftentimes as the forest. You think of the sequoias, you think of Alaska or Maine. The wilderness in Israel is a barren desert. Hopefully we'll be able to go there this year or the next. But when we go to the wilderness near the Jordan River, it's just desert. It is just barrenness as far as the eye can see. So John is transported here into this wilderness and he sees the women, the woman riding the scarlet beast and the beast. It's not her. If she had seven heads and ten horns, wouldn't be that profitable of a harlot. But she's riding the beast that has seven heads and ten horns here, right? And what's happening is the same thing we saw in Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, if you turn there quickly, Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So it's the same beast here. This beast is the Antichrist. Again, if you want more in-depth into this, you could look back to Revelation 13, commentaries, and the teachings on this. This is showing us that the false religious system of this world will be riding the power of the Antichrist and his kingdom. They'll make a large treaty with the Antichrist. We know he's going to bring a large treaty. He's going to bring peace to the world. He's going to bring short-term peace to this world, short-term peace for Israel and Jerusalem and all the chaos happening there. In verse 4, the woman is dressed in purple and scarlet. She's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Again, many of these religious systems within our world they're not broke. They are filthy rich. There are people all over the world that journey, right? Many people, they go to India to see these amazing temples. Many people, they go to the Vatican to see the temples happening there. I've been there before to the Vatican, and I'm good. I've been there once. I got the t-shirt, and I'm over it. If you go there, you can almost sense the darkness and the oppression, all the gold, all the money that's blown there, and yet the hungry, the needy, it's just like Isaiah. They don't care anymore about the orphan or the widow. And this woman, this religious system, if you look on her outwardly, she looks beautiful. She's dressed in purple. She's dressed in scarlet. She has gold, precious stones, and pearls. But yet what does she have to offer? Abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Many of these false religions, every false religion out there on the outside, it looks beautiful, looks so amazing. But inwardly, all it has to provide is abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4. Paul warns his son in the faith, Timothy, of these false religions, of this false ideology that naturally creeps into the real church. Right? That, that's a big warning to us. This mindset can very quickly creep into our church. 
can creep into our heart, and that's why we need to protect it. We need to defend the doctrine of the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, tells us, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons, that word doctrine, sometimes we're scared by it. It's just literally teachings of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Again, in the end of the age, this is what's going to transpire and has been transpiring. People will be forbidding others to get married just to try to appease and reach God. There will be some religions that will forbid people, hey, you have to abstain from this certain food if you want to be honorable for God. And God doesn't care about that. Jesus expressly tells us that God cares about our heart. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And even today, some of us have been burned by Catholicism, right? And just the forbidding to marry. The commanding of abstaining from certain foods. This is teachings, Scripture tells us, of demons. It trickles in and it lies to us on the way that we can approach God and have a relationship and friendship with God. Now, if you're trying to reach your Catholic friend, don't turn them to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, it's the grace of God. It's His kindness. It's His love. It's His mercy that leads us to repentance. And there are many Catholics that are true born-again believers. But as a whole, that religious sect, it has led so many down a dark, dark path. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4... We have another great warning to, to us. And if we're honest, this happens to many of us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Paul here commands his son in the faith. He gives him a military word here. He says, hey, I charge you. That is, I command you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Again, God will judge. Jesus will judge. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Again, he doesn't say the word of God is to just make us feel better about ourselves or the love of God is to make us happier, 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 right? He says, hey, preach the word to convince, rebuke, and exhort. Should we do this with anger, with the wrath of God, right, drooling at the mouth? Not at all. We are to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering, with patience upon patience upon patience. We should be trying to convince, rebuke, and exhort, and with teaching. Why? Because verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure sound teaching. It's too long. It's too boring. It's too old school. That's ancient ideology. What's wrong with you? Get with the times. Second half of verse 3, but according to their own desires... Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, 
Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. We have to be so careful, family, when we allow our desires to change the lens that we look at the Word of God. And it creeps in our hearts, whether it's a sin, whether it's an an ideology, whether it's an idol in our lives. Because we love it so much, we can use that as the lens with which we see Scripture. And it has to be the other way around. The Word of God has to be the lens that we see everything. Marriage, life, gender, family, home, making money, selling things, buying things, being honest. That all of that has to be seen through the lens of Scripture. It says because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Are we looking for teachers that agree with our sins? Is that what we're doing? So often people today, there's certain chapters that touch on the sin or on their idol. So what do they do? They find a teacher that says, hey, that portion of Scripture doesn't belong in the Scripture. Paul, we can't really trust him. Just throw out everything Paul has to say. And people chase after those teachers because they have itching ears and they're going after God's Word based on their own desires. They're not going based on the will of God. They're going based on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They heap up for themselves teachers. There are some, because of their sin, because of their idols, they try to find a church, they try to find a pastor that will tell them that the sin that they are living in really isn't a sin. Even though the Bible expressly says, hey, this is a sin, right? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will look for a teacher, they will turn away from the truth and look for a teacher, look for fables, look for lies and stories that will help them agree with their priors, right? We have to be careful about this. This can creep into our hearts. It can creep into our church. How do we protect ourselves from it? Preach the word. Stick to the word of God. This is the lens with which we're to look at all of life, not the other way around. Again, joked around about it. America is not the lens that we're supposed to look at Scripture. Our flesh, our heart, right? Uh, my son Levi, he loves jokes. He's like, hey, do you know baseball's mentioned in the Bible? The beginning, right? Genesis 1.1. If you love baseball, you're looking at baseball, and then you're looking at Scripture, right? That's not the context of that whatsoever. But so often, that's exactly what we do. This is my idol. This is a sin that I really love. I've identified my whole life in this. I don't want to give this up. How can I force this into Scripture? But that's the thing. You don't. We look at Saul, all of Saul's life work, he gave up. He gave up all of his life's work to follow Jesus Christ and to see other people come to the knowledge and relationship of Jesus Christ. So many of the disciples, Jesus said, leave your nets and come and follow me. All of their life's work, not only their life's work, all of their father's life's work. And all of their life's work, they left at a moment and an instant to follow Jesus Christ. We go back to Revelation 17, verse 5. It says, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Whenever we see the word mystery in Scripture, it's not because God wants us to become Sherlock Holmes and pull out our magnifying glass and our bubble pipe and try to figure out the clues here. 
The word mystery throughout Scripture is a truth that can only be brought and revealed to us by God and by Scripture. So Scripture is going to reveal this mystery. The mystery of most of us who are here who are Gentiles being able to be adopted into the family of God. That's only found in Scripture. And it's a great mystery that God reveals to us. Here we see in plural, she's the mother of harlots and the mother of the abominations of the world. And the warning here to us is that there are many, many, many ways that lead to hell. There are many ways. The majority of life decisions can lead us to hell. The majority of lifestyles lead us to hell. Proverbs 16, verse 25, it warns us, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Hey, this seems right. I feel good about myself. This feels good. Scripture warns us, hey, that might seem right to you, that may feel right to you, but in the end, it is death. Again, there is only one way that leads to life and that abundantly. There's only one way that leads to heaven for all of eternity. There's only one way that leads to joy and peace and love for this life and the life to come. In John 10 verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. That means in contrast to all the other fake doors out there, I am the only door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The only way for salvation is to enter in through the door of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Again, in contrary to all the other fake ways out there, in contrary to all the fake truths out there, in contrary to all the fake life out there, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to be so careful about this. If we think we deserve heaven out of any other decision besides our faith in Jesus Christ, we're in dangerous territory. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Again, think of how many Christians have been put to death for the sake of religion. Again, in the beginning, when Christians first became Christians, right, after Jesus is put to death, it's the religious Jews, they're chasing and hunting after Christians in the name of religion. During a lot of the beginning of Roman Catholicism, they were putting Christians to death. People that believe the word of God should be out there for everyone and anyone, they were being put to death by the Roman Catholic Church. Today, many false religions out there are putting Christians to death because of their faith. Islam, Hinduism, so many religions out there are killing Christians. And this isn't anything new. Since the time of Cain and Abel, people get angry and violent with those who are obeying God's word and are approaching God with a righteousness by faith. It's happened since Cain and Abel. When we're approaching God by a faith and righteousness that's not in and of ourselves, but from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, people get angry and they get violent. Walvoord, he says, false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. We started off with that quote, but now it gets to a point where they get violent. 
Again, what got Cain angry? Just that God accepted Abel's sacrifice. His brother did nothing else. Abel would approach God. He'd sacrifice his lamb and know that it wasn't his righteousness that made him right with God. He knew that it was the blood of this innocent lamb. That's what made him right before God. What did Cain bring to God? He brought him a salad. That's what happens when you bring someone a salad, right? No, no, no. Cain brought to God his own works. Cain got, brought to God his own labor. He brought to him the fruit of his labor, his harvest. And he said, God, my hard work deserves to make me right before you. And again, it's a danger in all of us. Hey, I've served this long at church. I deserve to be this close to God. I've been to church this many times. Hey, I go to church more than my neighbor. I deserve to go to heaven more than my neighbor that never goes to church. That's not what deserves, what gives us a reason to get into heaven. It's only because of Jesus Christ. Here he has great amazement. He marvels that they're reveling in the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus Christ. In verse 7, the angel says to him, why did you marvel, right? Why are you marveling? Dude, did you not read verse 1 through 6? Right? It's pretty crazy here. Verse, he continues, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the, seven, and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Again, we know this beast is the Antichrist, that one day he will come and rule and reign, and anyone who worships him does not have any entrance into heaven. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. Some think the seven mountains have to do with Rome because Rome is known as the city on seven hills, but it's literally the word mountain here. So it's best to think of it as seven political powers, seven powers. But truly, verse 9 and 10 don't have a good explanation for it. You could go online, you could read all the commentaries out there. There's a ton of commentaries out there, a ton of opinions. I don't think many of them have much weight to what verse 10 really means. Well, we do know that in verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So the Antichrist acting like the other seven, probably the other world, the other seven world empires that have gone through this world trying to take over the world and be worshipped as a god, he's going to act like them, but yet his end is perdition. His end is judgment for all of eternity. Verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are the ten kings who have received no kingdoms as yet, but they, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. These ten horns, we read about it in Revelation 13, 
We looked at Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. It's the Antichrist. He's the little horn that grows and he overtakes the rest. And it's these ten kingdoms and these ten kings that are under the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. They're given authority and power, Satan to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist to these ten smaller kings. These ten kings are going to make war with Jesus Christ, right, and against his people. And we see God's people are called, chosen, and faithful. Again, are we being faithful? Are we being faithful to Jesus? Are we those committing adultery, those committing fornication? We're drinking of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We're taking a little bit of the world, a little bit of the ideas of the world, and we don't think it's that bad. Again, it's a big deal, just like marriage. I hope all the marriages here, you're not seeking pleasure in any other relationship than your husband or your wife. You're not saying, hey, honey, I'm married to you, but I got lots of girls that are my best friends too, right? That don't work. Come up for prayer after service if that's you, right? We need to be faithful to our spouse, and we're the bride of Christ. We need to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Verse 15, it says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. We looked at that earlier, verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these, these ten kingdoms, they're going to hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked. They're going to eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Again, very interesting coloring page for children's ministry here. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we see here the powerful picture that John is watching, that he's doing his best to write down and communicate for us. In the beginning, this harlot was riding the beast, but it tells us here in verse 16 that there's going to be a switch. There's going to be a turn, and now the very same ten horns that were on the beast that gave her her power are then going to mark her desolate and naked. They're going to eat her flesh and burn her with fire. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2nd half of verse 3 says. The man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. So this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. He's revealed. And he who opposes himself. And exalts himself. Above all that is called God. Or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. At a certain moment in the great tribulation, some point in the seven years, probably at the three and a half year mark, after the Antichrist has allowed every type of religion, hey, you believe in Hinduism, come on aboard. You believe in Catholicism, come on aboard. You believe in this religion, that religion, this religion, universalism. You believe that in gender. You believe that in sex. Hey, come all aboard. We're all one. One love, one world, one empire. He rides all of them into his power. And at the halfway mark, he says, all of those other religions are dead and gone. Now you have to worship me. And at that point, that's when all of the other world religions, all of the world's religious system will be marked as desolate and naked. And now the Antichrist and these ten kings under him will begin to chase after every other person that worships anything but solely the Antichrist. 
Sandy Adams sums up the chapter like this. Go to bed with the devil and you'll never wake up. Again, oftentimes we think that we can be the outlier. Hey, I'm going to sin, but it's not really going to affect me like Scripture says. Hey, I'm, I know this sin is bad for me, but the wages of sin is death? Come on, not really that bad. I'm going to make this deal with the devil, and then I'm going to pray to God that he'll change it, right? God's word says he can change evil and make it for good. So I'm going to sin like crazy, and God will make it and turn it for good. Be careful with that ideology and that mindset because the devil will always destroy you. He'll use you as long as possible. And then if you ever realize that you're being used by him, his desire is to end you, is to steal and kill and destroy. Oftentimes we think we can get away with it. Sin, the wages of sin is death. Maybe I'll get away with it. It doesn't work that way. The wages of sin is always death. And yet... How often we play with it. How often we try to mess around with it. At the young adult retreat, Ronnie Breen, he, he was joking around and he was saying, you know, how many of you have ever gone skydiving before? Right, a handful of brave people to brace their hand up and go skydiving, right? But if you go skydiving, usually you have a parachute on, right? That's why they're here today, right? You have a parachute on. You have somebody else diving with you the first few times until you've been trained enough that you can go on your own. But if you jump out of a plane without of a parachute, what's the wages of it? It's death. Every single time you jump out of a plane 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet up in the air, the wages of it is death. And yet I don't think any of us would like try to mess around like that, right? How close can I get to falling out of the plane without my parachute? We run from that. Many of us were freaked out by just flying, the idea of a plane, the idea of being up in the air. And yet when it comes to sin, oh, how the enemy tempts us and how quick we are to give into it. It's not that big of a deal. This relationship is not that big of a deal. This lie, this cheat, this scam, this pornography, this gossip is not that big of a deal. The wages are always death. David Guzik, he points out, this has always been the goal of tyrants and most politicians. They use religion for their own purposes and then they discard it. They use religion for their own purposes and then discard it. Again, it's heartbreaking to look at Germany and Hitler. You look at Italy with Mussolini and so many of these tyrants. They ride upon religion. They ride upon those that they're in Religion for their own sake, their own money, their own power, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Tyrants, they ride on that and then they put them to death. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Again, our God is not mocked. His purposes will be fulfilled. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Again, God's plans, his purposes, they will always be fulfilled. We decide how we are a part of God's plan. You decide whether you're going to be used like Moses or whether you're going to be used like Pharaoh. Both of them were used for God's purposes. C.S. Lewis, he says, For you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. But it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. 
We decide if we're going to serve like Judas or like John, the disciple who he loved. That's our decision. We get to choose if we're a tool in God's hand, if we're a son or a daughter that gets to work and minister and serve alongside of him. But his purpose will always be fulfilled. Verse 18, And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. In John's day, Rome ruled and reigned over all the kings of the earth. Later on, Catholicism as a religion will rule and reign over the kings of the earth for a period of time. But truly, it's whatever city is most identified with this world system leading the charge in rebellion against God. Today, I think it'd be right Silicon Valley. We hear some of the churches over there. And how that area, how they're raging against the churches, against Christianity. You hear about what they're teaching in their schools, in their preschools, in the elementary. They're raging and rebelling against God. Again, what's the whole point of this? Us trying to figure out who the harlot is, what are the ten horns, where are these kingdoms coming from? No. The whole point of this is for us to realize the majority of life leads to hell. The majority of it. Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. How Jesus is the only door. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. And he's the only life. There's no entrance into heaven. There's no relationship with God outside of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Luke 13 and we'll close here. Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 22. It says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Again, what a great warning to us. There are men and women who will one day think they deserve entrance into heaven, banging on the gates of heaven, and God will reply to them, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. You are a worker of iniquity. That's why we have to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Do we get into heaven because of our striving? No, but we have to make sure that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
We have to make sure that we're working to abide in Jesus Christ. That we're doing our best to be putting on Jesus Christ each day and throwing off the works of the flesh and the ideology and the mindset of this world. We need to strive to enter through the narrow gate. And look at this. Jesus just comes off a difficult conversation with Peter. That's what happens. In, in uh, Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the way that we follow Jesus into heaven. It's by denying ourselves. Denying that lust of the flesh. Denying that lust of the eyes. Denying that pride of life and following after Jesus Christ. Denying our desires. Denying our lifestyles. Denying our feelings and following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if we don't, the warning is that he who desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says this to Peter right after, Jesus, right after Peter rebukes Jesus from going to the cross. He says, Jesus forbid that you would die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Again, family, may we strive to enter by the narrow gate. Wide is the way, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Which group are you a part of? Are you a part of the few? The few that are constantly being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? As 1 John would say, it is those who love God, those who are obedient to God's word, and those who love God's people. Is that you? Do you love God? Do you love his word? Are you obedient to his commandments? And do you love God's people? That's one of the ways you can know that you are saved. The worship team can come up. Pastors can get ready to come up. And again, as we close in worship, just take that time to self-introspect, right? What's, what's your biggest identity, right? your greatest identity in being a Dolphins fan? Is your greatest identity in the you? Is your greatest identity in being a dad or a mom? Is your greatest identity in right, a sexual immorality? What is your greatest identity? All of those identities have to come down and bow down at the foot of the cross. And any identity out of that, it's false. It's an idol. We have to be willing to crucify ourselves, lay down that life, Follow Jesus Christ and follow hard after him. But hey, let's all stand. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front. Uh, if you want prayer, if you want to just ask for prayer, if you have something or someone to pray for, just encourage you to come up front. Pastors would love to pray with you and talk with you. So Lord, uh, I pray, God, may you just do that work within us. Again, thank you, Lord. We don't see Paul at the end of his life regretting anything, Lord. We see him being able to say that he's fought the good fight. He's run his race. He's ready to enter into the glory, God. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us. May we end our life with no regret, Lord. 
And if any of us, Lord, we're, we're at that fork in the road, Lord, where we have before us life or death, I pray that today we would choose life, Lord. We would stop bowing down to the world, the ideas of this world, the ideology of this world, Lord, and we would be crucified to this world and the things of it. Help each of us, Lord, Lord, myself included, so prone to loving this world and the things of it. Lord, free us from the mindset of this world, all the glitz, all the glamour, Lord, all of the fleshliness, all of the self-focus and self-happiness, Lord. Help each of us to lose our life, Lord, and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.